Welcome everybody from all around the world. We're glad that you are with us today. I'm Father Chris Alar, one of the Marian Fathers of the Immaculate Conception, here from a rainy day in Stockbridge at the National Shrine of the Divine Mercy. And we are very grateful that you could be with us. And so today, as you saw on the slide, we're gonna be talking about not just addiction, but sin. So somebody might say, well, Father, you know, I don't need to watch this because I'm not addicted to anything. Well, we kind of are in one way or another, but definitely we are all in need of being freed from sin. And we're going to talk how to beat it today. And this is uh, an important talk coming on your second slide, as you'll see, part of my Explaining the Faith series. We've released the first 13 talks. The others will be coming and you can receive this or visit shopmercy.org or if you want to stream it live, you can go to thedivinemercy.org slash explaining the faith or easier call 800-462-7426 if you'd like to get my first 13 talks and the next will be released, we hopefully, soon. So God bless all of you. Let us begin with a prayer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Heavenly Father, we ask you send the Holy Spirit down upon us to bless us, those we love, especially any of those struggling with sin and addiction. Blessed Mother Mary, you are with us, always beside us, Help those who are broken and in need of such need of God's mercy. And through the intercession of St. Faustina, we pray for this healing. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. We'd like to welcome, there's some special groups with us today, Calix, which is a Catholic group uh, that focuses on helping those struggling with addictions. Uh, there's a big Calyx group with us. We're very grateful for that. And I'll be talking a little bit more about their organization and show a slide at the end. But let us begin with what we have today as a very challenging, um, huge and difficult reality, and that is sin and what comes from sin, addiction. And so a lot of people don't realize, well, I'm not addicted to anything, but that sin that all of us incur is an absolute reality that many of us struggle with. The first thing we have to do is acknowledge it. So I guarantee either you or someone you know is fighting some addiction. But a lot of people will ask, Father, though, how could a good and loving God allow this, permit people to fall into sin and become so hopelessly addicted. Now, I do a whole other talk on that you can find in our Explaining the Faith series about why God allows these types of things. But for now, we'll just say this. From the beginning, it was not so. It was not God's plan. We had original, unfallen human nature. I think you know this, but I just want to touch on it very quickly. Adam and Eve were originally free, not only of sin, but the inclination, even, even the inclination to sin or any addiction. Now, original sin came into the picture, wounded our human nature, now we are fallen. Okay, you all know this. 
So to conquer addiction, we first have to understand sin. This is the biggest problem with these professional therapists, counselors. There's no mention of sin. And this is where we're going to begin. We're not going to dwell on it, but we're going to begin here to give you that root of the addiction and how to beat it. Um, it's not from me, obviously. It's from the church and from God. So let's look at our first slide. That's a beautiful painting, right? That's unfallen human nature. Look at even the animals are in harmony. The lamb lays down with the lion, right? <clears throat> but what you may not know is how did God made Adam and Eve? Well, they were fine to begin with, then they got broken. But how much do we know about this? Actually, did you know that God made Adam and Eve immortal? Meaning their bodies didn't die or weren't supposed to. Did you know they were free from pain? Concupiscence, that's just a big word for tendency to sin or desire to sin. Ignorance, they were not ignorant. They were basically lord of the, lords of the earth. Now, humanity was originally created, this was God's plan, intact and in a state of grace. No sin. This is how we were created. They had a strong, healthy intellect. They knew the truth. Very sound will, but it was a free will. That's where they messed up, right? Okay and highly ordered desires. There was no disordered desires for, you know, selfishness or addictions. Now, they had something very special. You may have heard the term preternatural gifts. What are those preternatural gifts? I kind of mentioned some of them first. Their body didn't die. They were immortal. They were impassable. There was impassibility. What does that mean? They did not have pain. They had integrity, as I said. They had infused knowledge. These gifts were great. They were called preternatural gifts. But you know what the greatest one of all was? Free will. Well, Father, that's what got us in this mess. Well, here's the thing. God gave us the greatest gift of all in free will, but he took the greatest risk. In it, he had to take the risk that we could choose not to love him and turn on each other as well. So this, see our next slide, is where we turn into original sin. This original sin is what started it all. So with the fall of Adam and Eve, we lost not, if somebody was to ask you what two things Adam and Eve lost, as a Catholic, could you answer? If a Baptist asks you, or an evangelical, what two things did Adam and Eve lose in the garden, could you answer? It is sanctifying grace and the preternatural gifts. Meaning they were out of, in a state of grace with no sin, they fell out of that, and they lost those gifts, those preternatural gifts I just told you about. Now we have a wounded nature. All right, we are now subject instead of perfect knowledge, ignorance. Um, suffering instead of no pain, death instead of immortality. And now, biggest of all, an inclination to sin. We're tended, or tempted to sin and, and we want that sometimes, be it too much food or too much money or too much sexual uh, pleasure, whatever it may be. 
So we have this wounded <clears throat> concupiscence, again, a big word for that desire to sin, a disordered desire. Now, we are now subject to these things, but God gave an answer. People don't take baptism seriously anymore. Do you know how many churches tell me, pastors tell me, that, that nobody hardly even brings their children to be baptized? They just think it's, it's not important? Oh, my. Baptism imparts that grace back into the soul by removing original sin, by erasing original sin, and it turns man back to God and fills him with grace and gives him the grace of faith, hope, and charity. You have to have those to get to heaven. That's why the church teaches baptism's necessary for heaven. Now, does it mean maybe if you didn't have the formal baptism that you can't have baptism by desire or baptism by blood, where you desire it but you didn't have it uh, uh, you know, uh, ritually? But that's another talk for another topic, or, or another topic for another talk, all right? But we turn back to God in baptism by the consequences of our nature. This is Catechism 405. By the consequences, the, the consequences of this sin for our nature, it is now weakened and inclined to evil. These things persist in man and summon us now into spiritual battle. Just like Adam and Eve had to fight the battle of the serpent and lost, it messed us up. We too are called as many little Adam and Eves. Are we going to resist that temptation? All right, so sin has consequences. Please don't think it doesn't. And this is what baptism and confession are for. Baptism wipes out the original sin. And when we fall again, confession wipes out repeated sin. It heals the wound. Well then, Father, why do I gotta go back? Well, because when we sin, we heal the wound. But if we sin again, we create another wound. And that scar, even though the wound heals in confession, the scar of our broken human nature still remains. And so let's look at now this fallen human nature. Look at our next picture. Here's a picture of the angel evicting Adam and Eve from the garden. Can you imagine a worse feeling? So this is what happens. We are now in a fallen human nature state. So concupiscence that I talked about now refers to this intense form of disordered desire. Our appetites cloud our reason. Have you ever been in a position where you said, you know, I know I shouldn't do this, but I can't stop. I know I shouldn't look at this, this website, but I can't stop. I know I shouldn't pick up this alcohol bottle, but I can't stop. That's appetite over reason. That's because now of our concupiscence, but there is hope. The Apostle Paul warns us. He says, you gotta know what you're getting into. You have to know where you're at and your brokenness so that you can turn to the solution, Jesus Christ, and we'll talk about that. But Paul says, he basically identifies this concupiscence with rebellion of the flesh against the spirit. It's the appetite versus the reason. And so, Concupiscence stems from this disobedience of the very first sin, and it unsettles, this is Catechism 2515, quote, it unsettles man's moral faculties 
And without itself being a sin, meaning temptation itself is not the sin, it inclines man to commit sin. So when people come to me and they, in the confessional, they say, Father, I'm distracted and I, I have these temptations. That's not the sin. That's not a sin unless you invoke it or call it up or, or invite it into your mind or you act on it or you play it out in fantasy or you keep recalling it in your mind. So let's go to our next slide. This is the question, why then is sin so wrong? All right. You know, most of the world today doesn't even think we are sinners. You know, hey, I never killed anybody, Father. I'm fine. <clears throat> Remember Pope Pius XII said, the greatest sin of the 20th century is the loss of the sense of sin. And so in all the hypotheses about why the world is in the mess that is in, on the news channels, on the radio, talk shows, do you ever hear anybody say, maybe the reason is sin? Is, does anybody say the reason for the uh, horrible condition the world is in, the addictions, the brokenness, even the natural disasters, because sin is a disharmony to God's universe, does anybody ever say it's for sin? Mainly just the Christians. You know, there is a famous preacher. I've said this before a famous preacher that goes out there, and he said, I will never mention the word sin. It makes people feel bad. He's the biggest church in the United States. And says, I don't mention the word sin. It makes people feel bad. But yet he'll go out and say, if you, if you uh, believe in Jesus, you'll get that new car or that new wife, beautiful wife, or that new beautiful new home, and you will be promoted to be the boss at work because you deserve it. This is not the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's the prosperity gospel, which I've warned about before. Millions are leaving the Catholic Church because they want this feel-good religion that doesn't face sin. When you can't even say the word sin, you're misleading the sheep. And so this is important. Sin is a problem in our world where sinful lifestyles and immoral actions are glorified. When I was in college, my gosh, I look back in horror. I was in a fraternity. And the status that you were in, I'm apologizing. I don't mean to be offensive to anyone here. But the status symbol in my fraternity in college for the men was how many women you had slept with. That was what made your status in the fraternity. Even then, I knew something was wrong with that. But yet, nobody calls it out. And if we call it out, we're prudish. This is a big, big problem. It's glorified. We can see in our world, there is no longer any objective moral truth. If I tell somebody, you know, that's wrong, they say, well, that's your truth. Don't give me your truth. I have my truth. That's cultural relativism. And the Holy Father has warned us in, in John Paul II and Pope Benedict have said over and over, this is a danger. We have to have an objective moral truth. We can't have this cultural relativism. We need a guiding law for society, a moral compass. And the problem is we no longer follow the natural law. God put on the natural law in every heart to follow. But yet our schools and our courts have totally eliminated any reference to the natural law like the Ten Commandments. 
It's crazy. Natural law is saying things like abortion is wrong. Marriage is between man and a woman, and now we're vilified. I get people who proclaim they're, they're devout Catholics sending me vile and venomous emails saying how I had one just the other day that said I was a despicable priest. I, I, I was, I mean, yeah, I mean, as a sinner I am but not for teaching the truth that life in the womb is the preeminent issue and marriage is between a man and a woman. I pray, I pray. I, I, I'm not looking bad upon that person at all. This is a result of our sin, a result of original sin. I don't blame that person. I, I, I ask that the Lord have mercy on them, but we need to educate them. So people who tell you these things, you know, the church has now been eliminated as a, as a moral compass, and, and, and we can't survive without a moral compass as a society. The church was it for centuries, that moral compass, and now it has to be eliminated so that anything goes. I don't want you convicting me of anything because you're hateful. This is not what the church means to do. And if you tell me I'm wrong, I'm going to eliminate you. This is the third great non-negotiable, the taking away of religious liberty. The intent of that is to silence the Catholic Church. Why is that so important? Father, how dare you say preservation of religious liberty is more important than the environment, for instance. I'm not. The environment's very important. But when you take away religious liberty, you silence the church and you silence the truth. We can't do that. The church does this not to be judgmental, but it wants to get you to heaven, to follow your moral compass, to condone sin as a death sentence of the soul. So if we love the person, we won't do that. So bottom line, what is sin? What is it, Father, what is sin? Sin is any word, deed, or desire contrary to God's law, turning from the creator to the creature or the created thing. This is what sin is. It's the opposite of charity because we put ourselves first, not God or our neighbor, and it removes God from our soul. Jesus says the only way that I leave a soul is if it's in a state of mortal sin. There's many kinds of sins. If you want to see them all, Paul lists them in the letter to the Galatians. He said the flesh wars against the spirit. Things like fornication, impurity, licentiousness, that's sexual sins. Idolatry, sorcerer, that's putting other things ahead of God or not trusting in God. Jealousy, anger, selfishness, envy, drunkenness, carousing. These are things Paul warns us about. Left to ourselves, we cannot overcome these things. Only God's grace. So we have to start with this moral law, an objective moral truth to know what is right from wrong. Okay, now, we also know the effects of sin. Father, you know, basically stop, because if you, if, if you, if you keep saying these things, um, you're, you're calling me out personally, and you have no right to, to direct me personally. I got those emails. Okay, here's the deal, though. My sin and your sin doesn't just affect me. My sin just doesn't affect me, and your sin doesn't just affect you. 
My sin affects you and your sin affects me. Sin is not just personal, it is communal. And this is what people don't understand. So this is why we have to call to stop public sinning at least and follow God's law. Sin disrupts, as I said, the harmony of God's universe, that even the earthquakes and the tornadoes and the hurricanes are a result of that disharmony to God's universe. All evils are the effect of sin. God did not create evil. Remember, people are saying, did God create evil? No, evil is simply a lack of the good, a privation of the good. So when we pull God, who is goodness itself, out of our schools, out of our courts, what is left is a lack of good, a privation of good. That is evil. Evil is not a real created thing. Evil is when you take goodness out of something. It sucks out the goodness. What's left is a privation of the good. That is evil. This is evil. Mortal sin severs our relationship with God. We turn our back on him, not him on us, and it destroys charity in us, which is needed for salvation. And if we don't repent, we're lost eternally. I'm not trying to scare anybody. I'm just trying to give the reality, but the joy is there's a way out of this. Do you think I'm just gonna give you all the bad news and then say, well, have a nice day? No, there's good news here. The Father, God the Father, sent his son as our savior and he's waiting for us with open arms like the prodigal son. Remember the prodigal son, he went out and he sinned, but the father was there with open arms. You know the word prodigal, what does it mean? They call it the prodigal son because prodigal means to, to, to spend lavishly, to, to squander and, and to cover lavishly. And he spent his money. They call him the prodigal son. But actually could be called the prodigal father because he, he squandered, lavishly poured mercy upon that son. So it's really the prodigal father. He squandered all this mercy on this boy. That's the way of God. He lavished it upon him. And so this is what we have in the prodigal son. Any father melts when his child comes back to him and says, I'm sorry for what I've done. Any father melts. That's true fatherhood. But a lot of people just say, Father, I'm not a bad person. Yes, but that's not enough. God chose confession as the means for forgiveness. So when we sin, we leave that state of grace and in confession, it's restored. It's not just forgiven. Confessional's not just forgiveness. People think that confession is just forgiveness. No, it's also reconciliation. God takes us back as his son and his daughter. That's why we call it the sacrament of reconciliation, not forgiveness. Forgiveness is only part of it. But in the sacrament of reconciliation, God calls us back to himself. So this is why. The church wants us to live by that moral truth and they correct us when we're wrong. It's a work of mercy. It's not a hateful, mean thing. It's, it's a loving, beautiful thing. The church tells us when we're wrong, they admonish the sinner with love so that we'll come back to God. And that is why the world wants to destroy the church. Don't tell me that what I have to do, but no, the, the church, well, your church is judgmental, yes, when it comes to the action, not the person. I always laugh, I'm gonna write a book called The Catholic Church, Why We Must Be Judgmental and Intolerant. Oh boy, that would really get my emails going, wouldn't it? But no, we don't judge the person, of course not. We don't intolerant the person, even though Christian values are now not tolerated. 
We love the sinner, but we hate the sin. We can't accept, if you love someone, seeing them on the wrong path to destruction. This is what people don't get. All right, let's look at the next slide. Thomas Aquinas tells us, we substitute four things, four things for God. This is our sinning brokenness. One, wealth. Two, pleasure. Three, power. And fourth, honor. Now, what happens is when we feel any kind of void inside, we try to fill it with one or more of those things. It's an attempt to fill us up when we're not using the right things. I mean, this is what Mary did at the wedding feast of Cana. You know when the jars of wine were empty? What did they fill them with? Garbage, like wealth, pleasure, power, and honor? No, they filled it with the wine, the Holy Spirit, the blessed wine, which represented the Holy Spirit. That's why we're to empty ourselves like the wedding feast of Cana's, the jars, and then be filled with the Holy Spirit, not this other stuff. This is all gonna lead to addiction, and I'll, I'll get there in a minute. So what happens? Well, we fill the junk in our world with, with, with the wrong stuff. And this is why, if you ever meet a priest or a nun, a religious priest, we take the three vows of poverty, chastity, and obedience. Why those three? Our vow of poverty is to overcome the small g, God of the world, of, um, what did I say first, of poverty, so it would be money. We take the vow of chastity to overcome the God of the world of sex. We take the vow of obedience to overcome the God of the world of power. So if the gods of the world are sex, money, and power, we take the vows of chastity, poverty, and obedience. And this is what every soul should do in a way, but only by emptying ourselves do we have that space in our jar, like wedding feast of Cana, to have God fill us. We don't do this though often. Instead, we fill it with ourselves, our own selfishness, our selfish desires. Again, that's called concupiscence. Now, here's where we get to the core of the talk, and I'm sorry it took me so long. I keep talking about sin and concupiscence, but I believe that we can express today the idea of concupiscence in addiction. Addiction. Several examples of addictions are even going back to the Bible. Do you realize it? Let's look at those four. Wealth. Do we see the addiction of wealth in the Bible? Yes, we do. You remember the rich young man who Jesus said, follow me, and he couldn't give up his wealth, and he walked away? What about Judas? He was the keeper of the purse for the apostles, and he gave up our Lord for 30 pieces of silver. That's the addiction to wealth. He attacked the woman anointing Christ's feet and said those wages shouldn't have been wasted on that oil. He was mad. Wealth is in the Bible, the addiction to it. What about the addiction to pleasure? How about David committing adultery with Bathsheba? He knew it was wrong, but he was addicted to the sin of pleasure. What about Samson? He broke his vows and then was vulnerable to Delilah. Addiction of pleasures in the Bible. What about power? That's an easy one. Herod went and slaughtered all the little children for power. Ooh, do you see any connections there? Some of our politicians in power want to slaughter the innocent little ones. Power. Herod slaughtered the holy innocents to prevent the rise of a new king. 
What about honor? That addiction's in the Bible. The scribes and the Pharisees, they wanted, they did all their deeds so people could see them and honor them. And Jesus said, hey, if you do that, you're not going to get your honor in heaven because you already got your honor from men on earth. All right, let's go to our next slide. Contrary to what professional therapists will tell you, sin leads to addiction. I want to read you from the Catechism number 43. When we try to satisfy the hunger for God with something less than God, we will naturally be frustrated. Boy, isn't that true. And then in our frustration, we will convince ourselves that we need more and more of that finite, non-godly good. So we will struggle to achieve it, only to find ourselves again and again dissatisfied. At this point, a sort of spiritual panic sets in, and we can find ourselves turning obsessively around this creaturely good that can never make us happy. I think that's a powerful statement. Let's go to the forms of addiction. We're going to talk about just a few, and there's many, many forms of addiction. Let's talk just a few. Drugs and alcohol. Let's look at our next slide. This is one of the most common, and the National Institute for Mental Health says addiction to drugs and alcohol is a mental illness. Did you know that? I'm not sure I, 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 I've I've met too many people who know that. Substance use disorder changes the normal desires and priorities in the mind. It changes normal behaviors and interferes with the ability to work, go to school, and to have good relationships with friends and family. They say that addictions don't fulfill us and actually have the opposite effect of what we are seeking. The church has been saying this for years. Let's look at those four things again, those four addictions, and see what the effect is. Let's look at wealth. What happens when you get overly addicted to wealth? Sometimes, and many times, you get addicted to drugs or alcohol. You end up broke. What about pleasure? You want that pleasure, but if you're addicted to drugs and alcohol, your body gets sick. You even die. What about power? Well, you can't have too much physical power when you're addicted to drugs and alcohol because it ravages the physical body. And many times the status of maybe high-level positions and executives, many have fallen from grace. What about honor? Well, with all those falls comes disgrace. And so this is a serious problem. And alcohol and drug abuse is so common. Over 20 million adults in the U.S. have a substance abuse disorder. In 2018, let's talk about this for a minute, just on the drinking. Over a quarter of all Americans, 26%, over the age of 18, reported they engaged in binge drinking in the last month. Whoa, what is binge drinking? For men, five or more drinks in one occasion, and for a woman, four or more drinks on the same occasion. Can you imagine 26% of our nation has done that in the last month? That seems very hard to believe, but it's real. All right, 88,000 people in our country die from alcohol-related causes, 
every year. Do you know men are three times more likely to die from alcohol-related illnesses than women? It has now become the third leading cause of preventable death in the U.S., only behind tobacco and diet and exercise, slash diet, slash exercise. So you have tobacco's number one, diet slash exercise is number two, and alcohol is three. Wow. A third of all accidents causing fatalities are alcohol-related. That's, can you imagine if we could stop a third of our deaths on the roads? We as Catholics, why do you Catholics then drink alcohol? We do, we allow it, but only in moderation. The Catholic Church has always condemned overly drinking. It's the virtue of temperance. What is temperance, Father? It's basically disposing yourself to not have excess, any food, sexual pleasures outside of marriage, any comfort, drink. These are excessive, violating the virtue of temperance. But it's more than just alcohol. Let's look at our next slide. Opioids are becoming a huge issue. We lost one of our beloved employees here. People think, how could you lose an employee at the National Shrine? We did. God rest his soul. It was opioids that he didn't, was not at fault. He, he had to go into surgery and was prescribed opioids and became addicted. Do you know that in 2017, more than 47,000 Americans died as a result of opioid overdose? That's the same number as suicides. Do you know that this includes prescription opioids? Because many times this leads to heroin. And it is a, used with an illicitly manufactured fentanyl, which almost 100% comes from China. Be careful. Almost 30% of patients that are given opioids, prescribed opioids, for chronic pain end up misusing them, like our beloved employee here that died, and we pray for him. 80% of people who use heroin, listen to this, 80% of people who first use heroin misuse prescription opioids first. Please be careful. But it doesn't stop with just drugs and alcohol. Let's go to the next form of addiction, sex and pornography. Notice the thumb up there? That doesn't mean it's a good thing. It means people think it is bringing them a good. No, it's not. The U.S. bishops say both science and personal testimonies confirm that many people who start with pornography by occasionally viewing it later become compulsive viewers who feel trapped in a cycle of fantasy, ritual, acting out, or despair. In the confessional, people think this is just a man thing. No. Many, many women are confessing this addiction. This is very prevalent that nobody talks about. Do you know viewing pornography, if it's also combined with masturbation, directly affects the brain, the chemical makeup in the brain and the reward pathways, and has been noted to have the same effect as cocaine on the brain. A person with a drug addiction or alcohol addiction seems to show the same patterns in the brain as pornography. 
So don't think because you're maybe not taking drugs or alcohol, but viewing this that you may not be addicted. After using pornography, the person craves more and more and over time seeks out a higher number and more extreme images to get that high. Because you never can be satisfied. You're trying to go more and more. It's an endless cycle. So the bishops have said this is important here. And it's applicable, this, this effect on the brain, not, not just to drugs and alcohol, but a lot of forms of addictions. So this is important. The moral culpability, this is true. The moral culpability of an addicted person Father, how can I be culpable if I'm addicted and I can't stop? This is true. The moral culpability the church teaches is sometimes lowered, depending on the circumstances. But it doesn't give us a total excuse because it's still an objectively grave sin. We just have to beg for God's grace and mercy to be freed. Binding prayers of evil spirits, or I should say unbinding prayers so that we're Released of this stuff is very powerful. If you could go to a priest that can pray those kind of prayers over you. We said those prayers here on past talks. All right. Now I ask the question then, Father, am I culpable if I'm addicted? Is, is somebody in mortal sin if they're addicted? Well, that brings up the question of our next slide. Mortal sin versus venial sin. All right. As I said before, the problem is most all of treatment for addiction today never mentions sin or its role in addiction. So addiction never gets properly treated. This is why I try to go to a good Catholic counselor. Paul said some sin is deadly, but some sin is not. That is why, you know, when non-Catholics say, Father, sin is sin. No, Paul says some sin is deadly, some is not. Venial sin does not cut off God's life-giving grace in your soul. Mortal sin does. Now, what are examples of mortal sins? Well, you know the obvious, murder, abortion. But do you know other things can be mortal sins? Gossip? Many people get caught in that. Do you know missing Mass on Sunday? I didn't know that, Father. Yeah, without a valid reason, because that's, our, that's where we get our spiritual food. Masturbation, people, never, a lot of people don't know that's a sin. A lot of these things are grave matter, meaning objectively grave. And I shouldn't say mortal sins yet because there are three things, three conditions for a sin to be mortal sin. We, you can never say any sin you observe is mortal. <clears throat> Only God knows if it's mortal. What are you talking about, Father? No, I can say a sin is grave. I just listed some of them. Abortion, murder, masturbation, missing mass, even some severe gossiping or defamation of character. Those are objectively grave. But are they mortal? We don't know yet. Why? Because the church says in order for a sin to be mortal, three things must apply. One, grave matter. It must be serious. Two, you must have full knowledge that it's a sin. Some people who didn't know missing mass was a sin are not morally culpable, but yet don't think, well, why did you tell me, Father? Now I am. No, because you are also culpable for informing your conscience of the truth. <laughs> so don't think it's a way out. 
And the third is you must have total free consent of the will. This is where addiction becomes unclear. If somebody's fighting addiction, they may not have complete free will and may therefore not be in full mortal sin, like suicide. I always talk about my grandmother. I don't believe my grandma had full free will or she wouldn't have taken her life. This is something people don't understand. Free will is often missing from most actions of addicts in regard to their addictions. So responsibility from an, uh, an addiction action, according to Catechism 1734, listen to this. Responsibility for an action can be diminished or even nullified by ignorance, duress, meaning you're totally um, out of your normal mindset, fear, habit, inordinate attachments, or other psychological or social factors. That's Catechism 1734. Father, you tell me I have a free ticket to sin? No, because you're responsible for having got into that position. So go to confession. Remember, we are practicing Catholics, not perfect Catholics. So we have to go to confession. The best thing to do is to avoid becoming addicted by keeping your free will. Don't use these drugs that affect your free will. People say, well, Father, I can use marijuana now. It's legalized. I have this question all the time. Father, I have legal, there's a legalized marijuana. <clears throat> Therefore, it is not a sin, Father. Well, be careful. Jimmy Aiken, a great theologian, said it well. He said, if you're using something that affects your mind or affects your decision to make judgments, so like too much alcohol, or marijuana, he said that's a sin in the eyes of the church. So we have to realize that even though marijuana is legalized in some states here in Massachusetts, if you're using it and it affects your decision, you're not using it medically. Now, please understand, I'm not talking about medical here. I'm talking about recreational. If it's recreational, you're choosing it just for fun to cloud your judgment, you could cause an accident. It's the same with alcohol. So the best thing to do is keep your free will. Don't cloud it. Yes, but I don't want knowledge and free will because then I'm responsible, Father. No, because then you're guilty if you don't want knowledge. You're guilty of not informing your free will, or excuse me, um, of your intellect. And if you don't want free will, you're guilty of losing your freedom by taking those drugs. You see the point? This is the point. Don't think I don't want knowledge and free will because then I won't be culpable or responsible. No, because if you don't have knowledge, you should have informed your conscience. And if you don't have free will, that means you lost it by not taking care of it. Powerful stuff. All right, let's go into the next thing. Is addiction a sin? Is addiction a sin? To form, let's look at our next slide. To form proper judgment about someone's moral responsibility and to guide pastoral action, one must take into account the effective maturity, force of acquired habit, conditions of anxiety, and other psychological or social factors that lessen or even reduce to a minimum moral culpability. That's what I just said in that other line was in the catechism, but I asked the question, who wants to be Immature, because this is basically saying, if you're not mature, then you might be let off. Who wants to be immature? 
It also says if you're weak, if you have uh, these um, forces of acquired habit that you can't resist, who wants that weakness? So don't look at these as a way out. There's not. That's not the way out. There's only one way out. There's only one way out, and we get to it. The next picture, please. Jesus Christ. Look, I love this picture because in this picture, we see Christ, what he does with the addicted sinner. Look at this man. Who is that man? It's you and me. What's in his hand? He nailed Christ to the cross. He's got the hammer in one hand and the nail in the other. This is what we do to our Lord when we nail him to the cross with our sins and our addictions. So these people, God wants to embrace, even if they do not call upon God themselves, you can call upon God to help your loved ones. Please pray for God's grace and mercy. It's the only way out. God's love is greater than sin. God said, the greater the sinner, the greater right they have to my mercy. This is what the incarnation is. God loves us. You know what the incarnation is? Will Jesus become a man? Why? Because he wedded, it's a marriage of heaven and earth. Jesus wedded heaven to earth in the incarnation. He united divine nature with human nature. And human nature was broken. And so when Jesus united to it in the incarnation, he took that broken nature and redeemed it. This is why Jesus came to earth. Fascinating. Our broken human nature is now redeemed and man is now elevated by grace above the angel. Remember my angel talk? Angels are created higher than man by nature. Their nature's higher. They don't get sick. They don't suffer. They have perfect intellects. But yet by grace, when Christ became a man and wedded the divine nature to the human nature, human nature which was broken after Adam and Eve was now elevated above the angels. This is incredible. And he redeemed it. Christ brings us salvation. How? Through grace. How, Father, do I get that grace? The sacraments. This is what makes the Catholic Church different from every other church. Oh, well, Father, I don't need four walls of the Catholic Church. Actually, we do. We need the sacraments. In those four walls of the Catholic Church, you find confession, baptism, holy communion. This is what it is. Remember, I've said it before, I can't stress it enough. What is a sacrament? A sacrament is an efficacious sign, meaning it does something. An efficacious sign of God's grace instituted by Christ and entrusted to the church by which divine life is instilled in us. Did you hear that? Divine life. We don't get to heaven without grace. And grace comes to us guaranteed in the sacraments, Holy Communion, the grace of confession to be forgiven, the grace of baptism to be cleansed of our original sin. So this is why the sacraments, they restore us to to sonship with God and get us to heaven. Look at each sacrament and what it does. What is baptism? Why do we need baptism? It wipes away original sin and gives us grace. It lets the Trinity dwell in your soul, which it couldn't before that because of sin. What about confession? Why do we need that? Because repeated sins also need to be washed away. Once we're baptized, that's great. But now you go out, live your life, you sin again. You need those cleaned up too. That's confession. 
All right? We are offered a spiritual resurrection. Why do we need Holy Communion? Because in your journey in life, you can't go very far if you starve to death. Your body needs food, so does your soul. You need Holy Communion. This is the spiritual food for the journey. And we share in Christ's divinity through Holy Communion. What about confirmation? In order to fight the battle, you need to be sealed in the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is what fights the battle. And you need that seal of the Holy Spirit. That's confirmation. Well, what, Father, then what is marriage and, and holy orders? Those are sacraments, you betcha. Those sacraments are needed to define your vocation before God. Either God's calling you to the marriage life, you get married, or to the priesthood, you get the priesthood, or even the single life. Consecrate through the single life. It's very powerful. And then what about anointing? That's needed that when your journey on life is done, it's a preparation for your death to enter into the next world. My goodness. You can't get more important than these sacraments. They're given to us as a tool. Why? Why did God give us the sacraments? Because we lost the preternatural gifts. When we lost those preternatural gifts of a, of a good intellect and a good will and, and, and not immortal death, uh, or excuse me, mortal death, all those things were lost. God didn't leave us to despair. He gave us the sacraments to take their place and in some ways in a greater way because now we're talking divine life, not just earthly life, not just earthly mortality or immortality, but eternal immortality. Not just of the body, I should say, but of the soul. We are not immediately freed, though, however, from the concupiscence or the inclination to sin. But the grace of the sacraments can and do lighten the load for us. And this is why we, what we need in the Valley of Tears. All right, so now we're going to finish with how you get out of this addiction. Father, you've been rambling. How do I get out of this addiction? All right, let's look at our next slide. You've probably heard of the 12-step programs. And I want to talk about the 12-step programs because they're very powerful. Brother Jason Lewis is going to talk about more of these tomorrow. And we ask you to join us at the 9 a.m. Mass. We're going to print out all your intentions that you gave us for those to pray for with addiction. We're going to do the Mass, and then Jason's going to do a talk, and then we'll have a healing service. Join us tomorrow at 9, please. But the 12-step programs are awesome. Do you know that they're actually based on things like Alcoholics Anonymous? But people don't know this. Even Alcoholics Anonymous has some roots in Catholic spirituality. There was a sister named Ignacia Gavin who lived in the early 1900s, in the mid to, or early to mid 1900s, and she used the spiritual exercises of Saint Ignatius of Loyola, a great Catholic priest. And those what we call Ignatian exercises are to help with spiritual growth, okay? Stay with me here. Based on union with God, frequent reception of the sacraments, and a need for honesty and humility, that's virtue, and transparency, not secrecy, not hiding everything, but trusting people you can talk to about it, and living God's message through works of mercy. Now, the spirituality that this sister Gavin learned, many ways people say played a role in the growth of the writings of her friend and Alcoholic Anonymous founder, Dr. Bob Smith. 
and his colleague, Dr. Bill, excuse me, Bill Wilson, who came up with the 12-step programs. Again, Brother Jason's gonna be doing a lot more on this. They were both hopeless alcoholics, and they tried everything and it wouldn't work. But then they realized the key, that there is a higher power greater than oneself, and this holds the key. So not just alcohol, Alcoholic Anonymous principles could be used for drug addictions, sexual issues, gambling, gaming. Oh my, how many of you parents out there have children that are addicted to gaming? It's one of the earliest forms of addiction. Please limit their time. You're not being a mean parent. You're being a responsible parent. Even overeating for children can now become a problem. All right. They stressed honesty, all right? Confiding sins to others, not being selfish, and making amends to others for your bad behavior. Doesn't this sound like living the Jesus way? Doesn't this sound like being a disciple of Christ? They had identified aids to being sober, and they said reading scripture, attending meetings, being affiliated with a church, and daily prayer. Wow. But as with any other good thing, sometimes secular society gets in. Bob Smith eventually decided to become an independent group with no religious affiliation. He said that alcoholism and addictions favor no religion or level of education or income. Yes, that's true. He's right. And the principles, though, go across every type of religion, person, or addiction. You know, I read, I don't know if this is true, but they said if you are somewhere like an airport and you're struggling with a temptation to drink, for instance, they said you could page Bill W. and most likely another alcoholic anonymous member will come to answer you. I thought that was very interesting. But the roots are definitely Catholic, I think, based on God's grace. The key principle is prayer, and that gives us that spiritual strength from God. As Paul tells us, we must put to death the old man and not allow the sin of that old man, but rather allow a new man in Christ to overcome us. Remember, Paul says, sin must not reign in your mortal bodies, but you must obey your, excuse me, sin must not reign over your mortal body so that they obey your desires. And do not present the parts of your bodies to sin as weapons for wickedness, but present yourselves to God as raised from the dead to life and parts of your bodies to God as weapons for righteousness. For sin is not to have any power over you. You are not under the law of, uh, under the law, but under grace. All right. But you know what, Father? That's all great. You can say that. But you're being a little insensitive. I agree, it sounds like that. I'm just trying to give you the teaching of the church. But the teaching of the church is to stay away from sin. I know that. But one thing that you and I have to always do, and I want to do that right now, is show that love and compassion. Please have patience. I have family members and friends that are so impatient with other family members and friends that are addicted, that they've written them off of their lives. 
please don't do that. They need your help. They need your love. They need your presence. The worst thing you could do is abandon them. They already have enough struggles not to throw your abandonment on top of that. And so please consider how you approach it. You can help them or yourself through, for instance, one of these 12-step programs. You know, I want to put up on the next screen the 12-step programs for Catholics. There is what I feel a very strong way for doing this 12-step program. Let's, let's look at an example of the 12-step programs for Catholics, how we could help fight addictions. Let's look at the first slide. Step number one. We admit we are powerless over sin and addiction, that our lives have become imaginable. You know what that's like? The queen virtue, the Catholic virtue of humility. I know I'm broken. My life has become imaginable. If we live in denial, we're never going to get out. We're never going to get out of the addiction. Let's look at step two. Believe that a power greater than ourselves can restore us to sanity. This is basically a belief in God. It states that believe that a power greater than ourselves, that's a belief in God. This is Christian principles. We have to believe that there is a power greater than us or we're never going to get out of it. Step three, we made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. What is you doing? When you turn your will over and your life over to God, what are you doing? You're surrendering and trusting. This is what Jesus told St. Faustina. In her diary was the key. You want to know the whole essence of the diary of St. Faustina? There it is. Surrender to God. And the only way we can do that is if we trust him. We don't trust him. We can't surrender. That's a Catholic principle. Let's look at steps four through seven basically made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. This is looking at, guess what, our sins. And how do we recognize those sins? Confession. Steps four through seven are about making that inventory of ourselves. So we have the Catholic principle or sacrament of confession. Let's look at steps eight and nine together in one slide. Made a list of all persons we have harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. This is the Christian principle of forgiveness. Made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. This is the second great commandment. Love your neighbor. Love your neighbor. All right, let's look at step 10. Continued to take personal inventory, and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. <laughs> this is hard for a lot of us. We want to prove ourselves right, but this is an examination of conscience. This is the principle, Ignatian principle. This is, I look at my day and see where I messed up. I see my, my failures. 
But I have to admit it. If I don't admit that I do anything wrong, I'm never going to get better. All right, step 11. Sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God. This is just being with God. Trust me, if you're with God enough, he's going to wear off on you. Even if you don't say the right things or you do nothing, if you're just in his presence, he's going to start to wear off on you. You ever see people around you that you may not even talk to, but somehow they influence you? Maybe it's a movie star, unfortunately, or an athlete. I know um, I was influenced by a lot of American wrestlers when I was trying to, to be a wrestler. So you improve your contact with God as your time, in your time in contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. That's a holy hour. That's the Catholic principle of a holy hour. What about step 12? Having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, we try to carry this message to alcoholics and to practice these principle, principles in all our affairs. These are works of mercy. These are doing the works of mercy in our daily lives. This is powerful stuff. Again, Brother Jason's going to talk much more about it. All right, let's go to our next slide. I think this is powerful. Get some help. Look at these saints. These are your army. Look at these saints. These are a witness of saints. Many, many, many to help you. Call on them. Many of them struggled. In fact, I want to tell you about some of them. You know, um, some of the great saints struggled and, and their patron saints of those in addictions. Do you know anybody with a heroin addiction? Tell him to pray to St. Maximilian Kolbe. Why? He was a great Polish saint that died by lethal injection. He was not a, um, an addicted person, but he died by lethal injection in Auschwitz. And so he's now been declared the patron saint of drug addicts and those who struggle by injection, like heroin. He's a great saint. He had a great love of Our Lady. Don't forget Our Lady here. She's right next to me. Mary is a powerful tool and worked many miracles for those who are devoted to her. If you're devoted to her, like the story of Stephen Shire, you will actually, in many ways, be so taken care of by her. She can and will help addicts and those who love them. You can pray for those you love. If you have a devotion to Mary, she'll help you. All right, what about alcohol? And you know somebody that's struggling with alcohol? Our next saint is actually the Calix or Calix um, Society. Um, their patron, I believe, Matt Talbot. You know, he was an Irish laborer and he began drinking around the age of 15. And he drank around to the age he was 30. But then his life changed. He started going to confession, daily mass. And he said, I began to pray as intensely as I used to drink. That's what changed him. He spent hours every night reading scripture in the lives of the saints, praying the rosary. Turn to him if you're struggling with alcohol. Venerable Matt Talbot. All right, what if you're struggling with sex or pornography? Turn to St. Augustine. St. Augustine in his youth had a relationship with a prostitute. He had an illegitimate child. He struggled so much with purity and even said, Lord, please make me chaste, meaning pure, non-sexual, illicit, but just not yet. 
Isn't that a classic prayer from a saint? Lord, make me chaste, just not yet. But he did overcome it, all right? He converted by the word of God and sacred scripture. That's how he converted, by preaching the preaching of St. Ambrose as well, and of course, the prayers of his mother, St. Monica. And so you're struggling with sex or pornography, pray to St. Augustine. All right, next, what about if you are a saddened mother or grandmother or a spouse because your child or your husband is addicted to something? Pray to St. Monica. She was the mother of St. Augustine. She prayed many years for his conversion. And you know this? She actually prayed more years for the conversion of her husband. People don't know that. And you know this, I bet you didn't know this, she herself had a real weakness for alcohol in her youth. She's a great one to pray for. She's the model for persistent prayer for wayward children and difficult spouses. So pray. All right, we're getting close here to the end. There's another one, St. Mark Ji Tianjiang, opioids. Boy, a lot of us are struggling with opioids in this world. I had a woman call me and tell me that. She said, Father, I'm calling you mainly for my son. She said, but a lot of us struggle with it, Father. I struggle with it myself. Here's a 50-year-old mother. A 50-year-old mother saying, Father, a lot of us struggle with this. Wow. You know, he was a Chinese doctor who treated himself with opium, opium and became addicted. So here's a real example of a saint himself who was addicted. He did, was denied confession and even communion because he lived long before modern science knew the effect of drug addiction on our brains and about mitigating circumstances. But he lived a faithful Catholic life for 30 years, even though he didn't have the sacraments and then died a martyr. A martyr's one way, even if we don't have the sacraments, that we can still be saved because we die for Christ. We now know that frequent confession because of him is very important in struggling with addiction because he tells us how difficult it was after not having confession than it was before having confession. And finally, I wanna show you the powerhouse our own Marians of the Immaculate Conception founder, St. Stanislaus Papchinsky. And I think we got him up on the screen. St. Stanislaus Papchinsky, um, there's a picture of him. He's the founder of the Marian Fathers. And he was born in 1631, died in 1701, but he's the patron of those in mortal danger. And in many ways, um, any addict is really in mortal danger. And so he warned of the evils of too much drinking. He's a great saint to pray for, for those who are in danger. Father, I'm afraid my son's gonna lose his life. Pray to our founder, Stanislaus Pepchinski. Our website's full of great information about him. All right, so now I'll just finish with some practical steps and questions. You know, I wanna show you the next slide is basically Substance abuse, we see marijuana, injections, alcohol, but it's not just substance abuse. That's a form of addiction and they have to be taken care of. So you see all those red circles on there? Father, that's easy to show me. Show me all those red circles, stamp out alcohol, stamp out marijuana. 
But what do I do if it's my son or my daughter? I can't get them to do it. Well, there's some practical steps if you're the one suffering to help form that red stamp out. Let's go through some of these. Let's look at our next slide, the practical steps. One, ask for help. Two, keep an active faith life. Three, be helpful to others and yourself. And fourth, very interesting, asceticism. And I want to talk about that. All right, let's start with ask for help. Ask for help. You know, Christians, we are not called to be Stoics. Christians are called to help each other. We're part of the body of Christ. My fault and many others like me are we try to do it alone. We try to do things ourselves. I'll just do it myself. No, even Jesus didn't do it himself. He had Simon help carry the cross. They are helped by others. Reach out, go to your parish. See what help is available. There are 12-step programs grounded in spiritual principles. Make use of them. Be it the 12-step of Alcoholics Anonymous or Calix or others. There's no shame in needing help. It's common today. You're not alone. You're not meant to be alone. That's what the body of Christ is all about. And make sure you tend to both your physical and your spiritual needs. We're both body and soul, not just body, not just soul. Take care of the body and the soul. And also, too, tend to both the physical and spiritual needs of your loved ones or other family members who are struggling. All right, number two, keep an active faith, please. Mary in consecration, let's go back to Our Lady. She's right next to me. She's one of the most beautiful ways to fight these addictions. She's bigger and more powerful than any of our problems. Pray to Our Lady Undoer of Knots. I promote two Marian devotions more than any others. Our Lady of Good Success and Our Lady Undoer of Knots. She can undo any knot you've created in your life. And there are no bigger knots than addiction. Man, can she help you with that. She's a loving mother, will take care of us and our loved ones far better than we can. So place your loved one in the hands of Our Lady. Place yourself in the hands of Our Lady. That's what Marian consecration is. Keep that active faith life. Go to mass, pray the rosary, pray the chaplet and go to confession. Go to confession, go to mass, pray the rosary, pray the chaplet. Go to confession, go to mass, Pray the rosary, pray the chaplain. I can't emphasize, that's going to pour so much grace. You can't win this battle without grace. And that's going to help you. All right, number three, be helpful to others and yourself. You know what Father Benedict Groeschel used to say? I got to meet him. I was on his show once, and he told us something. He said, you know, because uh, I was on there over the works of mercy. And... He said something really powerful. He said, you know, when I'm facing really hard times, if I'm struggling and I'm just not overcoming some vice or whatever it is, it's hard to imagine with Father Groeschel, right? He said, I do the works of mercy. When I do the works of mercy, it seems to me there's extra grace. And he said, remember, in order to get mercy, you have to give mercy. In order to be forgiven, you have to forgive. So completely trust in God's love and mercy. 
for you and your loved ones. Trust, trust, trust. Remember, you want to get th- break free of this stuff? You need grace. And Jesus said, trust is the vessel by which all grace is received. All right, so wait a minute, Father. If I need to get better, what do I need again? You need grace. Okay, Father, how do I get the grace again? The sacraments. You get grace when you open up your heart to receive it. Well, wait a minute. How do I do that? How do I open my heart? Jesus told St. Faustina, trust is the vessel by which all grace is received. People always say to me, well, Father, I know somebody goes and receives the sacraments every Sunday. Their life's a mess. Yeah, you know why? Because they haven't opened their heart in trust. Grace doesn't do any good without trust. Jesus said trust is the vessel by which all grace is received. So if you want to get better, you need grace. And if you want grace, you got to trust. Trust is the vessel by which all grace is received. Okay, Father, but what do I do? What does trust mean? The trust is to accept the help someone offers you. And Jesus offers us the help through his mother. Trust her. It comes from him. You're trusting ultimately God. Trust the church. If you are going and receiving sacraments, but you stand vehemently against everything the church teaches, sorry, you're not opening your heart to trust. This is important stuff. God's love is what holds us all in existence. No matter how bad it gets, he must hate me. God must hate me. No, he doesn't. He wouldn't have created you if he doesn't love you. Father, he has to hate me. There's no way I would be this miserable. One of the reasons maybe he allows us to be so miserable is so that he can shower us with his mercy. It's only in our misery that we turn back to God and say, we need your mercy. Accept our suffering. This is hard. Why do we accept suffering? Well, remember Jesus in the garden. He said, Lord or God, Father, please take this cup. So you should also pray, take this suffering, take this away from me. But then Jesus said, not my will be done, your will be done. And that's what we are doing. Offer up our suffering. In God's ordained will, he doesn't want it. In his permissive will, he allows it. Why would God allow us to fall on our knees and be knocked down to the lowest point? Maybe. So that's when we hit rock bottom, we finally turn to him. All right, and finally, asceticism. Number four. All will suffer. All of us. So we simply have a choice to make. What kind of suffering will we choose? You have two choices. Will you endure ordinary suffering that comes in every life without drugs? Or will you choose to suffer the same sufferings of life that we're all going to get anyway with the drugs and therefore add the extra sufferings of loss of job, home, spouse, family, friends, all those things? Listen, I'm not up here trying to say it's just as matter as easy as willpower. I know better than that. I know myself. I struggle with a lot of things. I'm not about up to sit up here and say it's just pure willpower. That's impossible. Father, you're just telling us to just stop. No, I'm not. I'm telling you God and his mother can help stop it. But we need that trust and that grace to do it. This is not sheer willpower. And my heart pours out to all those who are suffering. In all of our lives, we're suffering with some form of addiction. People, things, even places. We are addicted in some form or another. People rarely confess breaking the first commandment, but whenever we put anything else ahead of God, we're 
breaking that first commandment. And so only grace is going to break us free. So we have this choice. Suffering will remain. Offer it up in union with Christ's sacrifice on the cross. It becomes redemptive. Get into maybe a good habit of offering little sacrifices of lesser things, like maybe skipping dessert or a TV program, in return for the higher goods, like a lot of grace to help you and your loved ones. All right, last part. Last um, part before we go uh, to the resources. Slide says, how do I help my loved ones? I think this is a powerful one. Many of you are watching because you have a loved one who's hurting. Sometimes, though, remember, love means giving generously, of course. Lavishing every ounce of love you have on someone that you care about. But sometimes real love means no more. Stop. I can't enable you to do this anymore. Sometimes you may be the only way if you're providing, for instance, the money for your son or daughter to buy the drugs, maybe that's where it's time to say, stop. I can't give you this anymore. Pray for them, though. You don't just have an obligation, though, to those you love who are addicted. I've seen cases where people out of love have paid so much attention to the addicted one, like a son or daughter, that they've totally neglected their spouse their other siblings, you have an obligation also to God. Don't neglect God because you're so busy where every ounce of your being is going into the addicted loved one, even though that's a beautiful effort. Your obligation is first to God and to yourself and to your rest of your family as well as the addicted person, even your friends and neighbors. Also, if you're constantly helping them out and bailing them out, They'll never really find rock bottom. And if they can't find rock bottom, sometimes they will never, ever, ever get out. If they always think, well, you know, this isn't that bad. I, I, I can get through this. When they hit rock bottom, they'll know it. And sometimes that's what it takes. It's best to avoid sometimes giving money to addicted ones. Now, not if you know that they're using it for good purposes. That's not what I mean. Like the beggar on the street corner, God bless him. I remember a woman asked me for money and I gave her, I think it was $20. And I left the uh, little gas station uh, thing where she was and I accidentally made turn the wrong way on the express to go to the, back to the expressway. The expressway was like a mile down. I got turned around and I made a left to go back to the expressway and I was supposed to go right. So I went a few miles down the road and realized I was going the wrong way. And as I was coming back, I saw this woman walking out of the carryout with armloads of beer. She just took the money I gave her and gave her that. Now, that doesn't mean you should stop giving to those people because you're given the merit by God for doing a good work of mercy. But perhaps maybe if you're not sure. Now, if you know they're going to use it for food or something good, please, by all means, give it. But if you're not sure, maybe you consider a little gift card. You know, you can get those little $5 uh, little cards that you can give to a restaurant or a fast food place that can give them some food. Remember, Jesus calls us to, to, to generosity, but not perfect discernment. He's not going to hold you responsible 
if you give to them in a good heart and then they misuse it. You're not guilty, all right? It may be a good idea, as I said, to kind of look at other ways or maybe gifts, gift cards or something. All right, to, to finish up here, despite what the addicted person says, there is nothing you are doing to cause them to be an abuser. Don't fall for that trap where the abused person says, it's your fault. You didn't break them. You won't be able to fix them. Only God's grace can. Be open to speaking to professionals to help your loved ones, but yourself too. Sometimes as the loved one of an addicted person, you're going to need counseling. You may be the one who needs to go. Remember, God is love, and sometimes his love is tough love. Sometimes you're going to need counseling because you got to say no to them. It hurts, but sometimes it's needed. So sometimes your love does have to be tough love, yes. Just let them know, however, that you love them and that you're setting boundaries only because you care about them and you don't want to see them go down the wrong road. There is hope. The hope is in Jesus Christ, our Lord. The hope is in his mercy. The hope is in his forgiveness. The hope is in his grace. And so I'd like to finish now. Before I go, well, I'll put up a few resources, but I, I do want to finish the talk with my favorite passage in the diary of St. Faustina, other than Divine Mercy Sunday. You know, when you think all hope is lost, and maybe you've even watched a loved one die in your arms or before your eyes of an addiction or alcohol or drugs, and you may have despaired saying they never repented and they never came back to the church and now they're gone and I'm afraid they're lost. Even then, God's mercy is greater and there is hope. I'd like to read you St. Faustina's words from paragraph 1698 in the diary. God's mercy sometimes touches the sinner at the last moment in a wondrous and mysterious way. Outwardly, it seems as if everything were lost as it would with a drug addict. But it is not so. The soul, illuminated by a ray of God's powerful final grace, turns to God in the last moment with such a power of love that in an instant it receives from God forgiveness of sin and punishment while outwardly it shows no sign either of repentance or of contrition because souls at that stage no longer react to external things. Oh, how beyond comprehension is God's mercy. Although a person is at the point of death, the merciful God gives that soul the interior vivid moment so that if the soul is willing, it has the possibility of returning to God. Wow, and that's where your prayers come in. That's where your prayers to help them make all the difference in the world so that they will turn back to God. God bless all of you. And if you know or somebody, you or someone you know are struggling, let's look at a few resources that we can put up on the screen. The National Helpline for what is the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration. S-A-M-H-S-A, -S National Hotline. If you need it, please call 800-662-HELP. Next, what about smoking? We didn't talk about that much. That could be a real addiction. Call the Smoking Quit Line at 877-448-7848. 
or visit that website on your screen, smokefree.gov. Next slide, what about Alcoholics Anonymous? That's a beautiful one, just go to aa.org. And finally, welcome and joining us, or thank you for joining us, the Calix Group. The last slide, this is a Catholic Association of Alcoholics and drug people who have dealt with drugs or have stuff, struggled with alcoholism who are maintaining their sobriety. God bless you all. Through affiliation with the participation in various 12-step programs and the beautiful sacraments of the church. Please visit calixsociety.org, C-A-L-I-X, society.org. God bless all of you. Thank you for joining us. And remember, tomorrow we will have a Mass at 9 a.m. Join us as we will have a Mass at 9 a.m. where we will print all those beautiful names you sent to us to pray for with addictions. They will be placed on the altar. Brother Jason will give a good talk, a beautiful talk. In fact, better than I did covering a lot of aspects, especially the 12-step program. And then we will have the exposition and a healing service. And also, too, if you are wondering how as a medical professional you can help people with this message of mercy, or even if you're not a medical professional, please join our Healthcare Professionals for Divine Mercy in our online virtual conference, November 6th and 7th. Just visit thedivinemercy.org slash virtual healthcare, and you can join up for that, too. We got so many great resources coming your way. May Almighty God bless you. Now, I want to not make the mistake I did yesterday. I'm a University of Michigan graduate. Yesterday, I was speaking to Michigan State students, and there's a big rivalry. And we at Michigan State, or excuse me, at Michigan, tease the Michigan State people, we always say, go blue. So yesterday, when I finished my talk, I didn't explain any of that. I just said, God bless you and go blue. I am not making a political statement. I promise. So with that, may Almighty God bless you, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. And Heavenly Father, we place in your arms all of our loved ones, ourselves, who are struggling in any way with any addiction, in any way with any struggles, that you may bring about healing through the open grace of the sacraments and our prayers. Please, Lord, open their hearts to receive that grace and healing. And we ask all this through Christ our Lord. Amen. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen, and God bless you. Why be a Marian helper? Because we, Marian Fathers, celebrate a Mass for you and all our members each and every day. You can share in all the prayers, good works, and merits of all the Marian priests and brothers around the world. And now you can share the graces just as if you were a Marian priest or brother. Every All Souls Day, we see a Mass for all the deceased members of the Association of Marian Helpers. Again, there's no way that after we die, we can help ourselves. But we have to rely on the prayers of those here on earth. And we, members of the Marian Fathers, will be praying for you as a deceased member of our association. You can share in the graces of the perpetual novena to the Divine Mercy. Remember, Jesus told St. Faustina that the chaplet of Divine Mercy is one of the most powerful prayers we can make. And every day here at the Shrine of Divine Mercy, we pray it. 
and you can share in those graces. So if you have any questions or you want to learn more how to be a Marian Helper, please visit micprayers.com or call 1-800-462-7426 and let me personally pray for you and your loved ones. Thank you and may Almighty God bless you, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please follow or subscribe to this podcast to receive the latest episodes and updates. If you have been blessed by this podcast, I invite you to leave a review. Reviews greatly improve our podcast ranking and will help spread this podcast to other people throughout the world. Are you enjoying this podcast? I invite you to listen to more shows brought to you by the Marian Fathers of the Immaculate Conception. Join us daily for enriching spiritual content, which will help you on your journey with Jesus Christ. Simply visit DivineMercyPlus.org for a complete list of our shows. That's DivineMercyPlus.org. Are you a Marian Helper? Join our Spiritual Benefit Society and start sharing in the graces of all the daily Masses, prayers, and good works of Marian priests and brothers all over the world. Sign up is free and easy. Simply visit micprayers.org. That's micprayers.org. Thank you, and God bless you.